0: You're listening to the AF Playbook Podcast with David Ford, the show that teaches you all about internet marketing. All right, so today I have a John Monarch who is the owner of Direct Outbound, and I heard a rumor that you have a call center. Is this true?
1: That's a vicious rumor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you can go on a Facebook group without, uh, without hearing that at least once a day or something.
1: Yeah, and it was just funny how that got started. It was kind of a uh, a few people ended up referencing me, and after that it got going pretty hard on the groups, and then all of a sudden Drew Clement out of nowhere just throws it out there at the uh, affiliate ball at uh, ASE in Philadelphia.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> nice, nice. So tell us, um, we'll get to direct outbound, but tell us kind of what your background is up to this point. Like, How did you get started in the industry, and um, what did you do before this?
1: Yeah, I took kind of a strange path actually. I was originally uh, in physics. I, w- I was a scientist. Uh, I got my bachelor's at Clemson and was kind of experimenting around with, uh, you know, online advertising. I think I ran my first Facebook campaign back when it was—I uh, don't remember what it was called—but it was a completely different type of ad back in like 2008. Uh, it was like a flyer, is what they called it, I think. Okay. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Went to grad school. I uh, got my funding cut, didn't really work out too well. I uh, was getting a doctorate in physics and then started working as an affiliate manager of all things. Really? Uh, for a now defunct network named Yep Revenue.
0: Okay. I remember uh, them. I remember, oh, yeah, I heard they, them, yeah. Big into
1: mobile for a long time. Yeah. Uh, got a lot of contacts through that and then uh, started actually partnering on offers after I had some successful campaigns as an affiliate and just really went full-time into this and started getting into the uh, offer service side after, you know, trying out uh, different providers and things like that and just feeling like, wow we can do this, you know. I I know the back end now, and it's expanded from there.
0: Okay. Interesting, interesting. So you were just not –
1: you didn't have a lot of passion for physics, is that, or just – I enjoy it, and I still enjoy it. I just, uh, it was one of those things that it's kind of like music for me, too. If, if I were to make a career out of it, it would lose all the fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. So, oh, that's pretty cool. And then, uh, how did you build Direct Outbound? I mean, where did you start? You had, so you had some knowledge, and um, you figured, okay, I can kind of do this. And how did, you, how did you start a call center and get, start getting clients
1: well, originally, based on the name, it was supposed to be an outbound call center for sales to, uh, to partials, which okay. we can discuss further. But um, it was uh, a friend of mine who actually went to Clemson with me. Uh, he and I discussed like, yeah, we should do this. You know, we can give it a go. And then it was a, an offer I was working with at the time. And so it's like, okay, well, uh, we will do the partial dialing and we'll do the sales. So it turns out we were not very good at teaching people how to sell on the phones at the time. <laughs> okay. So we reversed directions and did customer service and uh, got our first client and then took off from there. Okay. And how many employees do you have now? We are right at around 200. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. This, and the company's just a little bit over two years old.
0: So is it, do you hire people um,
1: locally? 100%. Yeah. We are uh, based in Greenville, South Carolina,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and everyone's from around here.
0: Wow. Is it difficult managing that many people?
1: Uh, it has its ups and downs. It has everything, like everything else, it has its challenges, but the biggest thing is having a good management team in place, and I like to think that we have probably one of the best that I've ever seen.
0: Okay, cool. So before we get we get much further, you know, um, we were talking about, you know, I don't really know, I know some stuff about how offers work, obviously, and everything, but um, there's a lot of stuff in the on the back end, I guess if you want to call it that, that affiliates really aren't aware of they kind of don't know what happens you know we usually just grab an offer from a network and send traffic to it and you know that's kind of it we might know that there's a mysterious advertiser behind the product and sometimes they kick us off but I was hoping that we could kind of go into detail about uh, how an offer is basically set up on the back end like kind of from start to finish what are all the components of it if that's a good question or
1: yeah, definitely. One of the one of the key things is that across most types of offers, a lot of people don't see it as similar, but it really is. That uh, you know how a dating offer and a, a diet offer, for instance, could actually be similar, but it's really based on how is the customer getting the product or service, how can they you know have customer service, and how can you keep them on board. Okay. So that, that question is kind of uni- those questions are kind of universal. So one of the ones that we're well versed in is physical products. So for us, it becomes when people come to us, they say, "All right, we're launching this product. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed to get we need to get it into the customers' hands, and we need to be able to have customer service for them." So, their product arrives in our warehouse. We ship it out for them directly to the customer. We take the calls for customer service and assist in making sure that their offer is staying live. Basically, so it's a delicate balance of keeping the customer n- not pissed off enough to you know mm-hmm. complain, etc., mm-hmm. but also keeping the advertiser happy enough that they're not you know. Refunds aren't just going out the door easily. So it's really kind of an odd balance that we have to keep.
0: Now, do you guys – do you have anything to do with the affiliate networks at all, or are you just there, like, supporting the – I mean, the um, offer owner, the product?
1: Direct Outbound is supporting the offer uh, the offer itself.
0: Okay. Got it. So if um, – say I came to you and I said, you know, hey, John, I have this idea for, you know, this – newest product I want to build, just say it's like a, you know, um, diet product or offer Mm -hmm. or something, what are the steps involved in setting that up kind of from, I don't know, from start to end, you know, if I, if I didn't know anything, what would you, what would you say, you know, where do you start? Like, I think a lot of people don't even know about getting a product made or manufactured if it's that kind of thing, not like Legion.
1: Right, and getting manufactured product is actually you know one of the later steps, surprisingly, mm. uh, because there are so many different manufacturers, private labelers, suppliers out there, and everyone's going to tell you that they're the best. Right. Uh, to start off with, I usually recommend people build the design and everything, all of the the tech side first. Okay. Because once they've got that down, what they can do is they can start applying for merchant accounts and for products. Okay. So they can start discussing with private labelers or manufacturers. You know, how the best way to go about this is, what the product choice is. And once they have that, they can apply for their merchant accounts, which is really one of the more challenging portions that people deal with. Uh, and, you know, let's say you're talking about a diet program, like you said, it's more of a, everything like that is classified as high risk. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, most things that we deal with in direct response internet marketing are going to be classified as high risk, okay. unless it's very basic e commerce. And that's just the way the banks are. Uh, high risk doesn't mean that they're assuming you're a scam basically it all it means that you have uh, this industry has shown itself to be more at risk for chargebacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just like internet direct response that is you know high risk. Of all things the travel industry is actually declared as high risk oh. because there's several reasons uh, for that actually. One is airlines, small ones in particular go out of business routinely and then can't refund customers' money so the customer will go and complain to their bank. Two, the customer will have a non-refundable ticket and they'll go complain to the bank after they have to cancel their flight for whatever reason. <laughs> so in that regard, uh, our industry is typically very uh, classified as high risk. And so a lot of guys have trouble getting merchant accounts, but it's really not as difficult to process. As long as your terms and conditions are locked down, you know what you're doing on the service side. So when you apply, you should have your customer service uh, in place, mm-hmm. uh, toll-free numbers, you know, typically around, at least if you're nine to five, uh, we're a 24 seven center. Mm -hmm. So once you have all that in place, you get the merchant accounts going and then you start focusing on the traffic. So it's really kind of like a logistical dance that you're doing all at once.
0: Yeah, I see. That's interesting. So back to the um, high risk thing is even something like if I built an offer that was for, I don't know, um, you know, house siting quotes or something, would that be classified as high risk?
1: No, and typically you're not processing as a merchant for that. Right. Uh, so if it's something like a lead gen offer where you're not actually accepting credit cards, uh, there's not. it's not classified as high risk. Okay. And it's not just processing at all. So you're just sending out the quotes. Uh, and That's when true. you're discussing yeah. something like that, it's a little different too because you have to have different back-end software than just a CRM. True, true,
0: yeah. Um, do you guys handle the customer service for – those kind of offers, any lead gen or anything?
1: We do basically anything phone related. We handle.
0: Okay, so what would th- what would that be? Like, say I came to you and I had this, you know, lead gen offer, and I wanted support with it. What what is the call center's role in that? Like, do people call and say, "Hey, I can't fill out this form," or?
1: I mean, Typically, on a on a lead gen offer, what happens is uh, there's there's two methods that people like to use when they own the offer. The first is it's a a ping tree so basically Mm -hmm. the lead goes into this ping tree system and then the uh, offer owner has you know maybe five or six different lead buyers set up that want to contact that lead and sell to them uh... so the data is automatically sent to them the second way that some people have is they have a call center doing uh, live transfers so that lead comes in the customer service agent or the call center agent calls the customer or the potential customer the lead uh, starts, you know, kind of buttering them up on what the program is, gives them some information and then transfers them directly to the lead buyer. Hot transfer leads are worth more money to people than, uh, Pingtree leads. Mm, okay.
0: Yeah. Cause Pingtree leads get shopped around, I guess, basically, or. Oh,
1: well, even if you have exclusive leads, it's just better to have someone live on the phone ready to, you know, close the sale.
0: Mm, yeah. That makes sense. Huh. Interesting. So um, another thing I wanted to ask about the high-risk thing, wh- mm-hmm. were things in the affiliate world, um, you know, products or whatever, always considered high-risk, or did it get even harder after the whole FTC thing and that, you know?
1: A lot of them were always classified as high-risk. Uh, there's a few reasons for it, because typically you're classified as card not present, mm-hmm. which in itself adds some risk. Uh, along with that weight loss products specifically or any kind of like weight loss, male enhancement, skincare, et cetera, mm-hmm. because those had already been burned pretty hard by direct response TV. Okay. So once they hit the internet, it was still kind of the same classification. It just got worse back under acai Berry. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a free for all for a long time. There were a lot of people doing a lot of things that were not allowed by the banks and they just did it anyway.
0: Okay. Got it. So it, how do you um, make your money then between i mean the off does the offer owner pay you um, a percentage of the sale or is it like a flat fee for your
1: service uh, It depends on the type of campaign it is actually so typically on a customer service for like a weight loss product, for instance, we would either do per minute so that's the per minute that the uh, customer service agent is on the phone with the customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus like a, a lead gen campaign like that where we would actually be the one sourcing the buyer. Okay. And then the live transfer would be sent to us, and then we sell the lead off and then pay out on a CPA. Oh, got it. We also allow people to have their own agent here. So they would pay by the hour. The agent is theirs to train, and we provide uh, you know, the staffing, all the, the tax, the payroll issues. We provide the voiceover IP, et cetera.
0: Okay, that's kind of cool. So they it's kind of like their own. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Huh. Yeah, it's
1: like it's like their own call center within a call center.
0: Yeah, huh? That's pretty neat. So, pretty soon, are people going to say that they heard you had a call center within a call center?
1: Oh God, that's like Inception.
0: <laughs> I, I coined that term just so everybody knows <laughs> in case. So, when you when you're running a call center, is the owner? Do you have any kind of liability? Um, you know, since you're dealing with refunds and stuff like that. Um, Where is your liability and how is it different from the offer owner's liability?
1: Uh, Typically, we're put on the line for things like the agent was too aggressive or the agent, you know, if they, for whatever reason, ever, you know, argued with the customer, threatened on that side of things. So we would have to handle it in that regard. Uh, We haven't really seen that happen. Yeah. So it's one of those things that we train pretty heavily to make sure that that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. I would imagine that would be pretty crucial.
1: Right. Along with that, we're also under the same uh, scrutiny in that we can't make false claims on the phone. So if someone were to, you know, say it's like, well, was this on Dr. Oz, for instance? You know, that's the hot button one right now. Right. Uh, our agent could say something along the lines of the ingredient was featured, but uh, not endorsed. We are not endorsed by Dr. Oz. We'd have to say that. Oh, okay. Uh, or whatever the offer owner, you know, tells us to say. Essentially, as long as it's compliant within uh, legal guidelines.
0: So do those things change a lot like do you have to uh, I mean the Dr. Oz thing and stuff you know that might not have been relevant a while back but are you always training for like new things and what you can say and can't say and stuff like that?
1: We are and it's basically boils down to a few specific things. Uh, The main one being don't lie to customers. Mm -hmm. We can't you know that's that's the key there is that once you start lying to customers, it becomes a real problem, and that we we focus hard on that. We actually have an, a team in house that all they do is audit calls they listen to phone call recordings all day, every day, <laughs> score them, and if there's an issue they uh, they pull the agent aside and it can be trained from then on.
0: oh wow so you yeah, you have quite the setup that sounds pretty cool did, did you um I imagine you grew over time you didn't just hire two hundred people um immediately. What did, how many did you start out
1: with? Uh, it started pretty small, actually. Our first actual employee uh, is one that a lot of people have seen at the conferences. Her name is Danielle. Uh, for a while there, when it started getting a little busy, but before we could justify you know, bringing in additional people, I was taking calls. I don't mind. Yeah. Huh.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I bet you would <laughs> kind of learn a lot about the type of customer that buys certain products from doing that.
1: You really do. And and just how to work with them in general and make it so that they're not angry or not, you know, wanting a refund or even just helping them out with general questions.
0: Yeah. So how much does, I know this is going to vary a lot, but if you're building an offer, how much cash do you typically need to make it work? I mean, I'm sure it's more for like a product. So let's start out with that. If I said, hey, I want to, you know, sling this new Barry or whatever, um, how much would I need for like the manufacturing and to get all the tech side set up in the call center before I could even, you know, start promoting
1: it. Right. So one of the, the biggest things about that is that with product, depending on who you're working with, you can do an order size that's a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say that, you know, maybe your product order is going to cost you three to $4,000 just in product itself. Okay. Um, The tech side, you need to pick out a CRM, and pricing Mm. really varies widely based on that. Uh, There's, you know, people like to use, there's Limelight, UltraCard, Connective, Orange, Triangle, and several others out there. So their pricing varies widely, but that can be, you know, from ranging from several hundred to, you know, a $1,000 a month or so in that range. Do you have a um,
0: favorite among those? I've only used a few of the ones you mentioned, but.
1: Uh, a favorite? That's really tough to say. I mean, we work very frequently with just what's most popular. So, Limelight yeah. is one of the more popular ones. Uh, there's star also we've seen that popping up. Uh, it just really—I wouldn't say we have a favorite because all of them have their pluses and minuses. Sure. Sure.
0: Okay. So they. So, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, go ahead, and continue. They. So you have you know your price of the product and then the CRM and.
1: Right, and so on top of that, you have to figure out, you know, design, uh, coding into the CRM. So if you're good at coding, you can integrate it yourself. Okay. Otherwise, you have to hire a coder or just to do it one time. Uh, we have a few people that we usually turn to for that. On top of that, then the uh, there's shipping costs. So there's mm-hmm. to have a warehouse fulfill it. There is a fulfillment charge plus postage,
0: okay.
1: uh, and then the customer service cost. So that's only when you're actually driving sales. Sure. Typically, if you wanted to start your own offer, not including traffic, you could really honestly do it 15,000 or less, Okay. not including traffic. That's one of the keys, though.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. But before I do, I thought I would ask if you can basically explain the role of um, a CRM, like what it does, because I bet a lot of people don't know what that is.
1: Definitely. Uh, CRM is the customer relations management portal. So anytime a uh, potential customer puts their information in, not even to purchase, so if they just put their basic info in, it stores it in there. And then what happens is if they put their credit card in, it's connected to the uh, credit card processing gateway that you use, whichever of your choice or whichever banks you work with. Uh, It stores the information and then it also sends it to the gateway for the actual billing portion of it. It can also control, let's say you're on a trial. Uh, if you have a trial product, it controls the dates in which people are billed. So if you have a 14-day trial, like is very common, on uh, day one, person signs up. And then it has a timer and automatically will bill them on day 14. Okay. So the customer relations software really manages the entire subscription process. Uh, you handle your refunds in there typically. Uh, Customer notes, maybe shipping out additional product for free, uh, changing their info, and it's just got all of their basic information within it.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Um, So that was for a product. What about the process
1: for a lead gen offer? For a lead gen offer, the most.
0: Set it up, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah. The most easy way to do it is to actually have a ping tree Mm -hmm. or just send the leads off to a single buyer if you're not pinging it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and starting up a lead gen offer is actually extremely inexpensive as long as you know the buyer okay. or can find buyers. So at that point, it's just design coding traffic. Uh, so really with the ping tree set up, if you've got a few buyers, you've got your design, you've coded it up, it's all integrated together. It's essentially automated at that point, as long as you have the traffic.
0: Hmm, okay. So um, do you need a call center for a lead gen type offer?
1: It's not necessary. It okay. just can often pay out more. Yeah. Uh, if you're sending it directly to a call center that's buying the leads and then selling off the hot transfer.
0: Sure. Okay. Um, where do people generally find lead buyers? I mean, um, you know, if I had an idea for a lead gen offer, how would I find out? Okay, are there people out there that are actually going to buy that? And if so, where are they?
1: This is one of those where face-to-face helps a lot, mm-hmm. or you can just put out the feelers on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd, I'll just go on a group. You know, there's a, there are click-to-call groups. There are lead buyer groups. You know, and then the super affiliates group, things like that, where it's just like, hey, I have you know, or I generate these types of leads. Uh, I'm looking for a buyer, something like that. Or one of the more popular ones is you know, there's obviously Affiliate Summit, but dedicated specifically to that is LeadsCon. Mm-hmm. So everyone, the buyers and sellers all get together there. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of stuff gets done at LeedsCon for lead gen.
0: Yeah, I've heard that's a really good show. I've, I've never been to that one, but I'd, I'd really like to. I've heard
1: it's good. It's pretty uh, business heavy. So it's not it? like the, the party show, <laughs> like, you know, Affiliate Summit can be, sure. uh, which it's still, Affiliate Summit's a great show. It's just a lot more dip, different atmosphere, I should say.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, explain to us um, what a ping tree is and how you, where you get it and how you um, use that in your lead gen offer?
1: So a ping tree is software that when you get a lead into your form, uh, it automatically sends it to the back end of that, which is integrated to the form. And then let's say you have multiple buyers, like buyer number one, buyer number two, lead buyers. Uh, let's say buyer number one can only accept 100 leads today and buyer number two can accept 50. So what'll happen is then you can prioritize them based on cap. So if uh, lead buyer number one can accept hundred and then all of a sudden, you know, you're done for the day. You filled your 100 leads, but you can still send traffic. It'll automatically send those now to buyer number two. Well, a ping tree allows you to prioritize your buyers by different metrics. So it could be cap. It could be by uh, how much they're paying. But prioritizes based on what you choose and where the leads go.
0: Okay, got it. Makes sense. So with a with a ping tree, you uh, you're still responsible for finding buyers, right? It's not a not right. like a marketplace. Yeah.
1: Right. There are marketplaces out there offhand. I'm having a little trouble thinking of some, um, but I know they exist.
0: Is there a specific PingTree software that people use? Is it like different CRMs?
1: Uh, well, ironically, Cake Marketing actually has one built into theirs. Oh. I think I've heard of another called PingPost. Um,
0: yeah, I know um, one of the... Uh four moderators on F playbook um has lead wrench
1: lead um, wrench is another yeah. they're good okay so it's uh, there's several of them out there. It's really just which one you know accurately sends the information doesn't have any hiccups in it, and really which you prefer pricing interface et cetera sure ease of integration
0: yeah so so that this is really good stuff. I'm making notes so and i keep thinking of things to ask Mm -hmm. but we're talking about so far um, building the offer and kind of what it takes and um, but you know you made a good point that's before you even start sending traffic so with people that build the offer do they normally just start sending traffic themselves Um, do they try to get affiliates right away and in your opinion is one or the other a mistake to do right away
1: if you are the type that you have your own traffic, if you are an affiliate and you're launching your own offer, it's good to keep running traffic to your own offer at first because it helps your cash flow because mm-hmm. obviously paying affiliates is going to be more expensive. That's just how it is because, uh, you know, everyone, you're adding an additional step and they need to make money too. Mm-hmm. Uh but adding on affiliates is a volume play. So really at that point, you're able to, you've proven the concept, you've proven the page, and it's good for internal testing. You can get you know, the EPCs and all that type of stuff from your internal traffic. And then once it's ready for affiliates, you can put it out to the masses, making sure that you have your you know, your merchant account cap if it's a physical product or anything accepting credit cards. Or if it's, a, uh, if it's a lead gen offer, making sure that your lead buyers have the, the daily cap to accept that kind of traffic.
0: OK, got it. Um, and what are some of the costs associated with getting your offer on net, on a network? And how do you go about that? Do you just go to the network and say, hey, I have an offer. Can I you know, run it on your network?
1: Basically, I mean, the cost is going to just be the traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, most networks, you'd be talking to their, uh, their business development team, mm-hmm. so they usually have you know, one or many representatives that their entire job is advertiser relationships, boarding offers, making sure the technical side with the advertisers is working properly, uh, and then communicating it to the affiliate managing team that, for instance, it's like, all right, we have 100 sales a day we can do on this offer. Uh, and then they tell the affiliate managers, we have 100 a day, and they communicate that out internally, and then goes on to their affiliates, or they help allocate it out to different affiliate managers uh, to make sure that it's either going to the best performing or the, you know, however the network does it internally.
0: Sure. What are some of the challenges challenges of working with an affiliate network? I know, um, you know, I've known people that have offers and stuff, and some of their frustrations is like are like fraud traffic and different things like that. Um, how much of a problem is is stuff like that and keeping the quality up, kicking affiliates off the offer if they're not back if it's not backing out.
1: Fraud traffic can be a big one, and that's uh, I actually had that happen because I formerly owned offers. I don't anymore. We focus on the client side of the business only. Mm-hmm. Um, and what had happened was we had received a bunch of stolen credit card numbers, and it was a uh, it was actually pretty difficult because we did have a fraud filter built in, and it caught most of it, Mm -hmm. uh, but there were still some that made it through. So the benefit is that since we owned the call center, we would call every single person that came from that affiliate ID to verify whether or not it was a real sale and cancel it accordingly before they were ever billed. Uh Wow.
0: Yeah. So And then you have the problem, I guess, if you run on multiple networks of – Bad affiliates going from one network to another and kind of jumping around like
1: that. Right, because uh, affiliate networks never want to share their, the name of the affiliate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very rare when they do. So, of course, when they go to the next network, you're not able to verify uh, the traffic without looking at it, especially if they blank their referrers or hide things. Okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty difficult usually you can see some trends within fraud though based on uh, the the way they write the email address and the way they you know yeah. do proxies and stuff like that
0: yeah different patterns i've i've seen some of that right so as affiliates you know sometimes we get told that our traffic isn't backing out but mm-hmm. i don't I think a lot of affiliates, you know, they have a basic understanding of what that means, but how does an offer owner decide that? How do they say, okay, this affiliate, the traffic's not backing out?
1: So it really depends on the type of offer. Uh, I'll stay on dating, for exa- example, because mm-hmm. that's a that's a pretty big one where that pops up yeah. very frequently. Uh, so dating paid by the lead, let's say you're getting $3 a lead. Uh, and the customer, if they buy you know, the, an account for something like that, let's say the account's worth a $30 sale, well, at that point, to break even, 10 leads has to be uh, lead to one sale. And that's just break even. That's not even a profit at that point. Uh, if suddenly one affiliate is sending 15 leads for every one sale, it's not backing out at all. Mm-hmm. So it ends up costing forty-five dollars, but you're making thirty. So you've just taken a loss of fifteen dollars per sale uh, from that one affiliate ID. Got it.
0: Got it. So I imagine that's something that they have to you have to watch pretty close if you um, don't want to lose a lot of money.
1: It is, and you can get software that will uh, monitor, you know, leads to sales, et cetera. It, a lot of uh, tracking software will have that built in.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've been, you've been an affiliate and uh, a product owner, creator, and now the call center. Um, what are some of the challenges that you saw or, you know, going from affiliate to, say, more of like an actual business owner? Um, what were some of the challenges of, or things you had to adjust, you know, going from one to the other?
1: Uh, the biggest one is going to be employees, okay? Because that's a that's a whole different world. Is uh, you know, when you're working from home and you're you're working crazy schedules, and you know, it's like you're waking up at 7 p.m. and going to bed at 7 a.m. or something like that. Uh-huh it's and dealing just dealing with people more so because a lot of people in our industry are a very different mentality than just you know people who come in for their jobs and they're they're great people it's just a very different mentality that you have to learn how to deal with everything and how to handle it as a management perspective uh resolving conflict making sure that there's not any issues and that you know people actually enjoy where they're working
0: sure yeah i'd imagine that's kind of difficult um does running your own business have as many ups and downs as affiliate marketing?
1: It does. It all does. I mean, it's just, uh, it may not be as drastic because you have multiple, you know, we have multiple clients and it, if one were to have issues or go down or something like that, it's not going to kill the business versus an affiliate that has one campaign, Mm -hmm. you know, that might be their bread and butter. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're not backing out or (laughs) the offer went down. Oops. What do you do then?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I've known uh, a lot of affiliates who transition from being just an affiliate to, say, making an offer or a product, and um, some of them do really well with it, and they go on, but others kind of hate it, and they go back to being an affiliate because they say it's easier to deal with. So do you think some people just aren't prepared for, for you know what they need to do or the work amount or money amount?
1: It could be a combination of any of those uh, just because, you know, you might not be ready for the amount of management that, you know, really hands on you have to do, especially for a very long time before you can really groom management. Because if you don't know what you're doing, then you're not going to have, you know, be able to train managers that know what they're doing. It's just how it is. Sure. Um, so it's just lack of preparation or sometimes, you know, if someone really jumps in it very young. We have a lot of younger guys in our industry. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if they're jumping in and they're unprepared for it mentally or something like that, they just need a little bit of time before they kind of grow into it. And that's not knocking anyone. It's just that time helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think everybody, uh, affiliates always think that somebody else is making more money or the grass is always greener. And I guess it's not always the case. It just depends on what you want to spend your time doing and what you're good at.
1: Yeah, we've seen our share of, uh, you know, just like I've seen affiliates that have fallen on hard times after going really strong. We've seen that with uh, advertisers. We've seen that with basically everyone. So there's really no best place to be.
0: Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to start getting to building offers um, and, you know, trying that, do you think that lead gen would be the best place to start or is there a certain niche or type of product?
1: The easiest one is to stick with something you're good at. Okay. It's basically if you've been running diet for a long time, mm-hmm. do diet. If you've mm-hmm. been running, you know, mortgage leads, stick with those. That's probably, and then you can branch out later once you've got, you know, a, a good solid foundation.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: If people want to discuss, you know, running an offer further, I'd be happy to talk with anyone.
0: Thanks a lot for doing that. I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your info with us. Awesome. Thanks again for this. Okay, yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in to the AF Playbook Podcast, your source for growing your online business. For show notes and to read the latest blog post, visit us at Affplaybook.com blog.